as a founder, you need to be able to sell. And again, I've been on so many calls with so many founders who are explaining their business to me. And I must be honest, I'm falling asleep. They've, they've lost me after 10, 15 seconds. It's boring. There's no enthusiasm. And one of the big things when you're thrown into a startup at the deep end is you learn to sell. You learn the right signals. You learn how to talk to people, how to communicate, how to sell. That's a huge skill that you miss out on if you jump straight into consulting or you jump into an analyst role and you don't know how to sell because accountants sell, lawyers sell, founders sell. If you can't sell, you can't get very far. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. And we talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off, and when they didn't. And on today's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Alex Rose. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. No, thanks for having me, Roy. Really appreciate it. So Alex, you have been with Connected for how long? Two and a half years. So started back in April 2021, mm-hmm. then took a six-month stop, went back to university, finished my degree, came back in April 2022. So we'll go for two and a half years. Okay, nice. And when you joined, how many people were with the company? So we were sitting around a table, no bigger than this. With <laughs> Literally no bigger than this, right? No, and there were six of us at the time. Wow. So I can't remember exactly if it was six or seven, but we'll go with six. Love that. Okay. And uh, yes, yeah, so the, the business is 10x in terms of headcount over those two and a half years, which is which is great and really, really exciting. And I think it's a really, we talk about risk. I think... Um, you had such a a fortunate situation in that the business was uh, exciting enough where you knew that actually going back to university was a decision you had to make. Um, But also we were at a young enough stage where actually you could go and come back in a way that maybe you wouldn't have had further down the line. But what was going through your mind at that time in terms of risks? And how did you assess the situation? Because I think for other people who are in similar situations and spoke to Claudia last week where she was looking to do a PhD and ended up staying with the business that she was involved with, how did you feel about the risks you were looking at at that time? Yeah, so at the time I was, I believe, yes, I was 21. So still at university, deciding what to do. And I was in a really fortunate position that I went to a fantastic uni, um, one of the best in the world. And everybody on my course was going into, not necessarily venture capital, but they were going into finance. They were all looking at traders, analyst positions, et cetera, Goldman's, Barclays, the like. And at the time, for me, it wasn't necessarily the route that I wanted to go down. And... I don't know, I, I didn't really want to go down a corporate route. Mm-hmm. So came into Connected and it was very, very early. And, and the risk for me at that point was, well, I've still got to go and finish my degree at a great uni, great course, great people around me. Do I go back and put everything into my degree and go through the application process for every finance company in the UK? Or do I trust and put my trust into these six people I'm sitting around a table with, which is a, a huge risk? And I took the risk. Mm. And... Never applied for another job. So throughout that whole six-month period where I went back to university, I never applied for another job. Was dead certain on coming back. I can actually remember the conversation we had sitting on on one of those benches in Huckletree um, discussing when you come back, the business will be much bigger, there'll be more opportunity. But there's no guarantee. Mm. It's a huge risk. So the decision I faced was, okay, well, do I do 
the sensible thing and probably apply for a couple of jobs and go down that interview process. Didn't want to do it. Wow, that's it's really interesting, and um, I actually hadn't appreciated that. So that's uh, that's that's great to hear, and it, it it is interesting because I remember having a conversation with you where I said, "Don't drop out of uni," you know, "don't don't even consider doing it," because at that point we were six people around the table, right? Yeah. The the risk profile for me to advise someone on was too high, you know, and I didn't think it was the right thing to do to be like, "Come on, stay," blah, blah, blah. and um. You know, I don't think, to be fair, you're any worse off for having gone back in terms of your position within the company. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't see that at all. Um, but now we've had situations where we have had people drop out of university where, you know, it feels like a very, very different risk profile. Not to say it's still not a risk, of it's course. It's a huge, huge risk. But um, no, I completely remember the advice you gave me at the time and also checking up with me throughout the time that I was there. Mm. You know, I was getting constant messages, not constant, but every couple of weeks. How's it going? Don't come back unless you yeah. put everything into it. Make sure you do well. Don't take the easy option because the job was there. Yeah. So for people my age in a position, they might do internships whilst at university. They might have a job lined up. That can change. That, that can change at any moment. So taking that risk so far has really worked out for me, worked out extremely well, better than I would have thought, if I'm completely mm. honest. But it's uh, a risk you should take precaution with. Yeah. And what would you advise uh, university students who listen to this and they are weighing up the options? You know, they've they've probably got a big student loan um, for, for the most part. They've, you know, got a lot of anxiety around that. And you can go into the city, you can go into a corporate career where you're probably going to clear that loan a bit quicker. Um, what would you advise them? So obviously I, I do have friends, you know, my age and, and you would have as well that went into that background, went into the city working six in the morning till eight, nine o'clock at night. A massive factor in me wanting to come back to Connected and wanting to work in a startup environment is how much I enjoy it. Mm. Probably the freedom that I get and the lifestyle that I get to have with it. I'm able to work very well with very good people without having to sell my soul. And, and I think that's something that more more people around my age need to start doing more is actually taking a step back, especially when we're looking at mental health crisis at the moment. Mm. Take a step back, look in the mirror and say, are you happy? Is this going to make you happy? Would you sacrifice five, 10 grand a year to be happier? And that was the decision I certainly made, you know, mm. not going into trading, finance, etc. made that decision very, very happy with it. So that's the advice I give. Just make sure you're happy, whatever you do. Mm. And I think it's a really interesting one as well. And a lot of people now, uh, my age, 31, where a lot of them made the decision to go down the super corporate route. And for a percentage of them, amazing decision. And the way that they have excelled in those corporates and, and probably the money they're making now, like, was probably a really great decision for them. However, for everyone who did make it and still there after 10 years and, and smashing it, there's 10 people who after four years they were like i can't keep doing this and i feel already starting to feel burned out and maybe they're not progressing in the way that they thought and it's actually at that point where i think it can be very painful because then it's like you're starting a new career at 28 or having to reassess things at that time whereas in many ways joining a startup you're you're going to have that balance you're going to have that longevity and it's 
sometimes much more transferable because the amount of things that you're doing i mean you've you know touched every single area of the business had great experience within within every single area of the business where you're not necessarily a, a box within a small vertical which you would have in a corporate environment yeah and, and me and you both know better than most people if you join a startup around a table with six people the likelihood is is that two and a half years later down the line this conversation between yourself and myself isn't happening it's very true those businesses percentage-wise majority will not last two and a half three years so it's a massive risk so mm. this isn't a case of shouting from the rooftops don't go corporate join a startup but if that risk does pay off it's very very lucky yeah but you're in a very fortunate position look at the conversation we're having look at the conversations we have on a daily basis the company headcount as you mentioned has 10x since i've joined but because of the opportunity that i took and the risk that i took i'm in a really fortunate position mm. yeah yeah and, and it's interesting i wonder with grad schemes are you able to take a year out because I think if you, I'm trying to think about like the ideal scenario, if you could have the chance to go and work for a startup for a year and really early stage on where you can get involved with everything to then understand, well, which part did you really like? And be like, well, actually marketing spoke to me in a big way or sales spoke to me in a big way. Um, I think that's such a great crash course. I taste the course of all the different things that you might do in a business and be like, yeah, that, that really speaks to me. There's no better way than learning them than by doing so now we're at a point where we do take on placement students. We'll take them on now for a year at a time. Mm -hmm. But because the organization has grown so much, it's quite, it's not rigid. You still have the opportunity to learn and do different things and explore different departments. But it's rigid in the sense that if someone is brought in as a marketing intern, a sales intern, they will most likely be doing that job 90% of the time. You join a company with six people around the table, you do mm -hmm. marketing, sales, legal, tech you, you get a you get your two pence in every which way yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and for you does the startup journey eventually lead to founding something and obviously you deal with our entire startup community on the connected platform so probably no one has more exposure to such a breadth uh, of startups and such a volume of startups than you so i think again this is just leading on to risk but with me personally, I, I speak to probably over the course of the last two and a half years, I'm, I'm going to have a rough, rough estimate of over 2,000 founders. Yeah, I'm sure. Of which the majority are stressed. <laughs> the majority haven't slept for a week if they have kids. Yeah. Oh, imagine trying to do that as well. So yeah. I think if I was ever going to do something for myself, which is certainly the plan, I don't think I would go down the tech startup route. Mm. Now, I'm sitting opposite you, who's done that twice, but I don't think, think personally that I could do it. I, I think you need a a very different mindset because a tech business is very different to any other business. Mm. And I was actually having this conversation with my dad last night. So we were talking about his business. He sells beds. I'm not plugging, but he sells beds. And if you need a good bed, Alex is Absolutely. the man. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's profit. Mm -hmm. So you'll buy something for £100, you'll sell it for £200. And I was talking to him about Uber and we are listening to a podcast about Manchester United, about okay. how companies take on so much debt and lose so much money yeah. and don't make a profit. He couldn't get his head around it, no matter how many times I explained it. And growing a tech business is incredibly difficult and it takes a completely different skill set. So probably from speaking to over 2,000 founders, I would say don't launch your tech business unless you actually have an idea of what you're doing. And mm. no one really does. Yes. No one does. You learn as you go. 
but you have some idea of what you're doing. It's interesting. And I, I think the uh, the Manchester United point is a really good one where people are saying they're turning over this much money, 600 million revenue, and they're just about turning a profit, right? But I think a lot of it is because they don't want to pay tax, right? The, the further you can stay away from being super profitable, the further you can stay away from paying tax. And for me, that's one of the reasons why really, you know, you would value a tech company as a multiple of revenue because the goal shouldn't be, if you're looking at it from a purely capitalist perspective, yeah. the goal shouldn't be having being taxed on a ton no, of profits. And, right? and so if we're going to talk about purely football finances for a mm -hmm. moment to kind of change subjects, I was looking at Manchester United into their finances, exactly how that valuation works. So if you do it on a revenue multiple, you get to about 3.6 to 3.7 million. Mm -hmm. And there was a few other different models in which was RAN, one by Bloomberg and um, Bloomberg, one by Forbes, all came out between 3.5, 3.7 million. Mill billion. Billion, right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, cool. But the bids are coming in at five, yeah. six, and that's not enough. So when you get into the world of tech, you get into the world of valuations, things start to get very different from any other industry. And I think you need to fully understand that industry if you do want to enter it and you do want to have a tech company grow in scale. It's a different skill set. It's a different mindset and a different skill set. Yeah, 100%. And it's one of the things that we're so passionate about with Connected, which is trying to educate the community around the realities of what that means. Because the thing is, uh, and, and uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about businesses which are striving to be capital-backed, investor-backed, whether that's venture capital or that's angel investors. And therefore, if you're doing that, you're creating an organization of two halves. You're creating an internal organization, which is your team members, your customers, all the things which are business-facing, let's say. And then you have the external organization, which is your investors, your stakeholders, your board of directors. And you as the CEO, as the founder, you know, you're, you're the sandwich of this, oh, sorry, you're the, the filling in this organizational sandwich, right? And building a great internal business, customer, product, all those things there, does not necessarily mean you have the skill set or the understanding on how to manage your external organization, managing your shareholders, what's important to them, how are you going to be able to present yourself professionally so that they trust you enough in the first place to invest, that they continue to trust you enough to reinvest and be on your side, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And just as you said, you know, th those skills are not intuitive. You know, we don't learn those skills in school um, even Absolutely people, who, even people who I know who've done courses in entrepreneurialism, etc., they're not understanding stakeholder, shareholder management in the same no. way. And I think I've heard you say this before. When, when it does come to growing and scaling that business, isn't there's something I'll touch on a bit, touch upon in a moment? Until you get to that point of I need to make this a success, mm -hmm. it, things are going to be difficult. But just to add something else to that is the differences between a scalable, venture-backable business and a lifestyle business huge problem that I probably see on a on a day-to-day -day basis is people wanting to go and get venture capital for a lifestyle business. Mm -hmm. Something that might turn over a couple of hundred grand a year, pay all of its bills, make a 50 grand profit and you'll take a dividend and it's a lifestyle business. But they want venture capital yeah, yeah. because they need to hire a head of marketing, they need to hire a, hire a salesperson and pay themselves a salary. That's not venture backable as, yeah. as you'll be able to say over and over again. Yeah, completely. And I think as well, it's um, it's the lifestyle business and then it's also still big businesses which don't achieve a venture profile, right? And I see it again uh, a lot of the time and, and you see it more than I do now for sure, without a doubt, is something which can even get to 200 million turnover. 
um, again, is not really uh, a venture-backable business. Or, or sorry, sorry, a 200 million valuation, let's say, is not a venture-backable no. business, you know, unless it's going to be something which could achieve unicorn status. And I think it's a really difficult lesson for entrepreneurs to learn is a business turning over a couple mil a year, but whose cap is 25 million turnover, is less investable than a business pre-product, yeah, pre-revenue absolutely. that could hit 100 million, 200 million turnover. And you see people screaming their heads off <laughs> as to, you know, how difficult it is at a pre-seed yeah. level in order to raise that investment. But you're completely right. Sometimes those businesses, pre-rev, idea stage even, yeah. are more backable. Yeah. They're, they're far more backable than, I, I can't Something which is a two million Exactly, exactly yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is very achievable, very quickly, if you have the right product. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it is a minefield. And I think that's why, uh, and we see a big trend in it, and we had that recent Google event, Dan Bowyer from Superseed Ventures, who I think does an amazing job uh, as a VC of really debunking a lot of these myths, which is so important because ultimately founders' frustration comes from wasted time. Mm-hmm and not realizing that there are the right partners for everyone. There are the right backers for everyone. For example, even a lifestyle business, um, and there are so many of these companies out there, can get backers in, yeah, can, yeah. Can, raise, can raise money, should raise money if it's the right thing for them. But it's probably giving away 30% of their company rather than 1%. It, it's a partner as opposed to yeah. venture-backed investment. But something else kind of going back to the benefits of coming into a startup really young, at really early stages, we used to do sales schools together. Yeah. So going back to two and a half years ago, we were sitting on sales schools together. And this was something super, super valuable picked up from from the Google event with Dan last week was that you, as a founder, you need to be able to sell. Yes. And again, I've been on so many calls with so many founders who are explaining their business to me. And I must be honest, I'm falling asleep. Yeah. They've, they've lost me after 10, 15 seconds. It's boring. There's no enthusiasm. And one of the big things when you're thrown into a startup at the deep end is you learn to sell. Mm. You learn the right signals. You learn how to talk to people, how to communicate, how to sell. That's a huge skill that you miss out on if you jump straight into consulting mm-hmm. or you jump into an analyst role and you don't know how to sell because accountants sell, yes. lawyers sell, Absolutely. founders sell. If you can't sell, you can't get very far. Yeah. So that's another huge benefit. Uh, even surgeons sell. Absolutely. You know, I, as someone who has recently missed solar surgery. Um, but no, yeah, even, even surgeons sell. Um, because you're right, it's about being able to inspire confidence. And yes, if you're looking to raise investment, but you can't explain your business in a way that excites people, um, that's going to be the first place yeah. that you start. Um, and before the figures, before the valuation, mm-hmm. before the potential exit, excite us about the product. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's um, art and science, right? Science is super important. The market size stuff mm-hmm. that we're talking about, understanding how venture works from a returns perspective, that science is critical, but no one's ever going to invest on the science. They're going to no. invest on the art, which is the founder market fit, the narrative, the passion. Because, and, and for founders listening to this, why is that important? It's important because if you can't sell me as an investor who has X amount of money to spend and has already... Uh, assigned that money to be spent with these types of businesses, then if you can't convince me, who's got that pot sitting there, how are you going to convince the best talent in the world to leave their job and come and work with you? How are you going to convince the, the best customers who have got 50 different software companies that they can they can go and work with, for example? So yeah, it does, it mm. does start with a sell. 
And talking about selling and selling your vision and getting the right people and the top talent on board, how we met was an introduction through somebody advising you at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those doors massively open up. And so if you can, at an early stage, and, and this is something I, I say on a daily basis, but if you are pre-revenue, you know, you haven't made a sale, you haven't even got a wait list yet, but if you can convince really top talent to come on board at an early stage, demonstrates that you will take the business to the right place because it's the team and the people that drive it forward. When I joined Connected, there's six of us. I can name names, but you know who's around the table. Those people, I believed, had the right mindset, drive, ambition, skill sets, contacts to drive the business forward. Mm. The product back then is not the product now. And for most early stage companies, the product, your MVP that you launch, that is not going to look anything like your product yes. in two years' time. It's all about the people. Who's there? Who's going to drive it forward? That's what's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much of it uh, as well is proving market demand because there's, as you say, and you're 100% correct, the solution will change mm. because as the problem evolves, the solution required to redress it will, will evolve and iterate too. But there's got to be market demand for solving that problem. Absolutely. And this isn't a connected podcast. So, you know, I, I could very easily sit here and dive into the product and how that's changed and why it's changed, but it's entirely different. And, and mm. that's the main thing. It's completely different but the people are the same yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and what would your advice be for all the early stage companies that you've sp spoken to what are the themes that you see running consistently through the ones who do then go to raise their capital uh, and who do go on to grow businesses which become interesting yeah it's a shame the answer that i'm going to give because i'm not going to give an answer that's you know from a book but if i'm completely honest contacts you know, for a lot of the businesses that I do see at an early stage doing really well, they do have strong contacts and that's difficult. They do have good backgrounds. Again, difficult. They often have very experienced advisors and teams around them that have done well. So build a team mm. because contacts are really, contacts will open the door for you. Now, not everybody has access to those contacts, hence why networking sites exist. But contacts are how you're really going to drive things forward at an early stage. Mm -hmm. And ask for advice, get advice. None of us know everything. But I would say contacts if I have to give an actual number one answer. Because names, doors, opportunities, they do get you to a certain extent. And then it's your job as a founder to push things on and make the right decisions. Mm. But those doors do need opening sometimes. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good, honest answer. You know, um, absolutely. Absolutely. No one can ever put you through the door, but they can open it. Mm. Um, I think it's a really, really good, honest answer. And I think there are also ways to um, open doors yourself. Yeah, of course. But it's it just takes longer. Yeah, and it if takes it, longer. And look, if someone's not opening those doors for you, knock on the door yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's all you can do. It's all you can do. And I think uh, some of the things you've mentioned there, building your wait lists, getting proof of concepts, getting letters of intent, those are the sorts of things mm. which will open the doors. And th there's another thing I heard you say, it probably is going back two years ago. So I don't know if you have said it since in the last two <laughs> Let's years. Let's find out. Um, but, you know, when you are building a business at an early stage, do not be scared to burn customers. Mm. See if you can finish off the sentence. No, go. Uh, as in, Fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Why, sh why should you not be afraid to burn customers because at an early if stage? Because you, if, if you're afraid to burn your small amount of early customers, there aren't enough customers in the market. Exactly. You're not in a big yeah. enough market. You're so I, I market. You know, can remember you saying that a couple of years ago. Yeah. If you're scared to burn people at an early stage, you're not in a big enough market. Yeah. And, and that's it. Because realistically, your earliest customers will not be getting the full experience. 
Absolutely. You know, they oh, won't of course not. And that's why you sell it at such a discount. You know, yeah, you're not saying charge them what you're going to charge them after after 10 years when you've got your entire stack built mm. and everything is working perfectly. That's why early adopter pricing is, is, yeah. is so important. And if you go around things the other way and you put your prices sky high right at the start, oh my God, you're going to get some bad feedback and some yeah. bad press. But if someone pays 50 quid for a pretty decent product, yeah. they're not going to be phoning you up every day and complaining. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. Okay, and um, some questions I ask everyone, and in, I, I have a feeling I'll know the answer to your first yeah. one. Um, single biggest risk you've ever taken, and what was the outcome? Yeah, if you ask me this question <laughs> in 10 years, it's going to be different. Um, look, the single biggest risk I took was definitely taking a job when there's six people sitting around a table when, if I'm completely honest, there's lots of opportunities that I really could have explored. Now, there's other opportunities that I've taken since and risks that I've taken since. I'm, since I'm just about to get on the housing ladder in a market where interest rates are sky high. Brutal. We're in a, a cost of living crisis. Everything is through the roof. And I'm about to take the biggest financial step you can take. A huge risk. But I don't honestly think I've taken a huge amount of risk because I did analyze the factors. So I didn't close my eyes and jump in blind. Mm. Those are the two biggest risks that I've taken. And I'm hoping that if we sit down in 10 years time and you ask me the same question again the answer is slightly different but those yeah. are the two biggest risks i've taken yeah okay nice nice um yeah interest rates brutal right <sighs> awful yeah it's tough it, it is really tough and I, I i think there's a lot to i think there might be a lot more pain along the way not necessarily in terms of interest rates going up a hell of a lot further than they are right now i don't think we'll see that but people who locked in great rates four and a half years ago myself included um mm. it's just yeah it's it's tough it's tough yeah. but but what can you do there, there there's is very little we can do there, there is nothing you can do but i guess with both of them as well it's huge opportunity and that's that's the you know that's such a massive factor of risk is there's huge opportunities on both sides mm. you know connected since i first walked through the tours two and a half years ago thankfully things have turned out really well mm -hmm. and look that's not by luck by any means but, but a lot of luck along the way a as lot well. of luck along of the way but you know not by luck by any means, but huge, huge, huge risk. The opposite of that and, and the other side of that was, well, if it doesn't go well, I'll be 21, decent degree behind me and, and I'll give it a go. So these aren't huge risks, yeah. but they're still risky. Yeah, they are. But but it's actually a really good point. And my last guess, uh, we were just talking about this as well, which is take those big risks early. Yeah. Because at that point you were living at home. Yeah. Yeah, at that point you're living at home, no dependents you're 21 yeah if you lose six months like yeah. you'll be okay and we can sit on your side of the side of the table we are both young but yeah. unfortunately you are considerably older than me <laughs> thanks and you know you can tell me i'll i'll take the risks you're young enough to take them if you take them when you're 40 and you've got kids and you've got serious mortgage maybe don't take them at 21 22 university student just coming out take the risks give yeah. it a go what have you got to lose? Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I, I don't know how I will assess the situation mm. at 40 with kids and, and what my advice yeah. would be. My advice now to people is still, and I'm, for context, I'm 31. I have a girlfriend that I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I do have mortgages, um, but I still feel very much in a position to take risks. I think I, I imagine psychologically the big big change would be having kids mm. i imagine well if if i'm going to be honest with you roy and you ask my mum what she said when i told her about connected i'm first starting up 
She was livid. I can imagine. Absolutely livid. <laughs> However, we come, you know, two and a half years down the line, we go full circle. Two yeah. of her best friends have invested in Connected. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so actually, I haven't thought about that until now. <gasps> uh, obviously, having kids, getting older, more responsibility will, I'm sure there is some statistics around becoming more risk averse. It must be. It, of course it must be. Yeah. But whilst you're young, take the risks. What have yeah. you got to lose? No, love it. Okay, cool. Um, what are you proudest of? Great question. If I'm honest and completely honest about what I'm proudest of, probably my own mentality. So giving myself a, a pat of the back here and um, I'm very driven mm -hmm. and I'm actually proud of the fact that I am driven. Um, the responsibility that I've got at a very young age, working within a startup, it does allow you to have lots of responsibility. And I, I'd say something I'm very proud of is the trust that others put into me. Mm -hmm. People like yourself, a couple of other people within the business, I'm very young to be in a very responsible position as we look to scale and grow and enter new territories. And I'm in charge of a very important part of the business. So something I'm most proud of is actually the trust that has been put in me. I never take the step back and give myself a pat on the back because that is not how startup life works. It is 24 seven, three, six, five, go, go, go. But the amount of trust that other people have put into me is something I'm very proud of. Yeah. And you should be, you should be, but you're right. It's, um, it all starts with mentality, mm. you know, it starts with that mentality and you attract the things that you put out. And when you put out uh, a level of ambition, you put out a level of execution as well. Um, Cause there's, there's often a big gap between mm. I'm really ambitious. I want these things, but I can't really be fucked to put in the work to make yeah. them happen. Um, and you see a lot of that you, you see yeah. throughout every walk of walk of life, that, that gap between expectation and reality um, one of our values is, you know, optimists uh, mm -hmm. at the core, but realist in execution for that reason. And I think that's where you've, you know, you, you should be proud of yourself. Yeah. And, and I'm certainly not that person, you know, okay, do you know what? I did get up this morning early, did go to the gym, did do the right things, but I'm certainly not that person that is a hundred percent all the time. Go, 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 go. And don't stop, but certainly driven enough. Mm. And I think this, again, it's something with startup life against that corporate life is, if you can find that right balance young and, and you can understand what you need to do in order to avoid burnout. Mm. Now that is not sitting on the couch. That is not taking a nap at four o'clock. <laughs> it is when you go on holiday, actually switch the phone off. Yeah. That's all it is. That That's the main difference. If you can find that balance, you're okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And that's the, and that's good advice for startup um, team members. Mm. If you're a founder, the reality is a bit different for the yeah. first couple of years, but you're right. You know, for you, you don't need to put that level of pressure on yourself and therefore looking after yourself and, and getting balance is important. But I think that's only acceptable if you understand what does need to be done. Yes. Or, or else 100%. it does sound like, okay, take a step back, chill out. Founder does all the work. Founder doesn't yeah. sleep. Founder does all the work. No, let's, you're now, we're now in a position whereby, of course, the founders in, you know, pre-series A scale up businesses work incredibly hard. But they only get to that point if the team work extremely hard and devote more than massively. You know, you don't see, I personally don't see my job as a nine to five office job or anything yeah. like that. I see myself as part of something that is growing, uh, a contributor, a company that is really going places. And if myself and probably 15, 20 other individuals haven't put in the level of work we've all put in over the last two and a half years, we wouldn't be here because we would have missed certain targets and not raised a certain amount. 100%. 100%. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, over the last uh, two and a half years, we're talking about probably the most tumultuous mm. two and a half years in the history of business. Well, certainly in my yeah. lifetime, but 
probably back to the 70s. Oh, certainly, if it's in your lifetime, it certainly is in mine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but probably back to the 70s now, where very few companies will say they've gone from six people to 60 people over yeah. this period of time, 65 people over this period of time. Um, and I think that's why it is, if you can find the right business, I think it is such an amazing journey to be on. Um, finding the right business is the tough part, as we know. Finding the right business is the tough part, but kiss some frogs, find your yeah. prince. Give it a go. If it doesn't work and you're young enough, and, and I think a lot of what we've said over the last half hour, 45 minutes, is all geared probably towards young people that are mm -hmm. at that kind of crucial point. What do I do next? Give it a go. Yeah. Take every opportunity. Grab it. If it doesn't work, so what? And if it does, you'll be very happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And also, I think um, when you see, for example, people in our team like mm -hmm. Claudia, like James, who joined startups because they wanted to do it and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and actually not necessarily at such a young age. Yeah, absolutely. Some of them. Um, but understanding that, okay, six months didn't work, but now I know the sorts of things mm. that I should be looking for, I know the red flag. So yeah, you know, you'll, you'll, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're great talent with the right attitude, You'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you'll, you'll be, be fine. fine. Right. Okay, cool. Next one for you is um, anything you wish you did differently? I'm going to say no. Great. I'm going to say no. There's two answers. There's the sensible, rational answer, which is, yes, of course, I could have done stuff differently. I could have done this better. could have done that better. I shouldn't have said this. should have said that, which is the rational answer. Mm. And then the rational answer to the question is, I'd be in a better position if I did x y and z the real answer is i'm happy mm. happy as larry so no i wouldn't have changed anything i'm a very very happy individual with a very good work-life balance with great colleagues and a great company with a good support network i realize how lucky i am so no the answer is definitely no yeah well, that's great i think uh something which we don't talk about so much on this podcast but we should talk about more is gratitude uh, mm. the ability to appreciate the things that we do have is so important um, from a mental health perspective and from just, you know, if you're if you're living in the UK, even though it's so difficult for so many people in mm. the UK, but you're probably still in the best one, you know, the best 15% yeah. of the world. It's easy to say that. Yeah. It's easy to look back, but we are in a, in a point, especially more so my generation and the generation that will be below me, mm. Mental health is a serious, serious issue. And gratitude is something so simple that you can yeah. do to make yourself feel great. Yeah. Look in the mirror. Okay, I understand. I'm in a very fortunate position, thankfully. However, there are positives. And if you shout those positives from the rooftop, mm -hmm. it's like the old standing in front of a mirror. I am beautiful. I am worthy. Now, I don't do that every day, obviously. Could do. I might, but I don't. Yeah. Um, but sometimes just being grateful. And that's something we do at Connected really well is we praise each other mm. you know every friday we do feedback and i tell you what it, it might come across if i tell an outsider exactly what we do a little bit cringe yeah. I, I do get a little smile when i see a bit of gratitude yeah absolutely it's important and i know that there's a real um movement against toxic positivity yeah absolutely and, and i would say that we do uh, have an incredibly positive culture at connected but i genuinely believe it's a key part to our success key part to the reason we have been able to, to keep on fighting the way that we have been um okay i've got two more questions for you i don't know i do i have two more questions for you what does it take to be successful great question one of the factors is definitely luck yep right place right time right phone call right time right conversation at the right time luck is a huge part 
I obviously listen to podcasts, read books, etc. People's life stories. There's a lot of luck involved. Mm. So that is number one. You can have two people, same wavelength, same background, same skill set. One gets the opportunity, one doesn't. Yeah. Luck. Second thing is when you get that piece of luck, you have to be so driven and so uber determined and full tunnel visual. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Tunnel visual. That was a weird <laughs> one. Tunnel vision in order to make that a success. Yeah. You know. And, and you see cringe Instagram stories and TikToks of people waking up at 4.30 and having their eight eggs. That's not real. It might be for some people, but that's not real. But you have to be extremely driven and determined to be the best you can be, to be better than your opposition, than your competition, tunnel vision, luck, and taking your chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, and also, just one last thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't... Be afraid to get punched in the face and get punched in the face a few times. Not physically. But Although sometimes that too. Yeah, that, that might help. Yeah. But, you know, for example, if you've never cold called someone, cold call people. Mm. Okay, you will get rejections. You will build a thick skin and you'll be able to go into any conversation and talk to anyone. Yeah. So resilience is mm. probably what I'm trying to get at. Mm. Resilience, tunnel vision and luck. Yeah, that's a really, really great way of putting it. It is a really great way of putting it. I think... Um, yeah, that that the luck is the frustrating one for people, yeah. right? Because how do you how do you build luck? Now, Simon Squibb, who we've had mm-hmm. the podcast before, and um, one of the things he was talking about on that podcast is how do you create luck? And he has mm-hmm. a really interesting theory on it, which is by taking risks, yeah. ironically. And it could be bad luck or good luck, but that is how you create luck because when you're playing it safe, the luck doesn't Luck doesn't really come into no, it, right? Because like, the luck, like where, like how's that luck going to manifest? If you're sitting at home and you're, and you're not pushing yourself out there, you, that luck's not going to come to Do you. you. So there's I mean? an argument yeah. of making your own, making your own luck and creating your own luck. Yeah, still doesn't mean you get it. No, 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 of course not, of course not. And then sometimes you will just have a crazy situation where luck does come out of yeah. nowhere. And again, could be good or bad. You know, it could be uh, an injury that you weren't anticipating, just bad luck out of nowhere, right? These things do happen every day. Um, okay, cool. My last one for you is, mm. it's funny because most people I ask this to, I'm asking them to go back like 20 years. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go back for six you, months. Yeah, yeah it's like going back six months. 15-year-old Alex walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him? Look, that's still eight years ago. Still eight years um, ago, fine. Nearly 10. <laughs> but, um, God, 15-year-old Alex, what would I tell him? One, lose the weight earlier. Oh, oh. Is yeah, that, a fifteen-year-old Alex was chubby, so yeah. So how, just how how because I've gone through my weight loss journey. No, nowhere about? near as much as you, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was on the chubbier side. So lose the weight earlier, number one. What do you reckon you lost? I know I lost, I've definitely lost two stone. Oh, you lost two stone. Okay, it's fine. not the seven. Um, so it sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, but yeah, lo- lo- just lose the weight a bit earlier. But if I had to sell tell fifteen-year-old Alex something, is that God knows what will be in ten years' time, but you'll be all right. Mm. Don't stress. Don't panic. Don't lose your temper because that's been a bit of a problem of mine in the past. Don't lose your temper. Keep calm. Don't be too anxious. You will be okay. That's great. And I can I can tell you now, having known you for two and a half years, I would never have thought of you with a temper. So <laughs> there you go. You did some good work there. Where can people find you? Where can people find me? LinkedIn, Alexander Rose, not Alex, although we've been going for Alex. So LinkedIn, Alexander Rose. That's probably the best place. If anyone wants to have a chat about anything founder-related, growing your business, scaling up, then get in touch with Roy probably first, but myself as a second best option. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate it.
Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.